you're listening to the Equitopia podcast. I'm your host, Kaylee Hansen, and today our guest is Katarina Alonshi. Katarina is a rider biomechanics coach from Finland who already 20 years ago frequently encountered clients who struggled with fear and anxiety around horses. In 2007, a certain mare brought her to come to terms with her own emotional landscape. This set Katarina on a journey to learn more about emotions and how they affect everything we do with horses. Today, she is an equestrian life coach who specializes in teaching emotional skills to equestrians. Her Finnish podcast has over 10,000 listeners, and this year, she also co-authored a book about emotional intelligence for equestrians. Katarina has studied sports science, rider biomechanics, NLP, positive psychology, life coaching, and many other modalities, all which come together in her own work with horses and humans. I started in a riding school. I was 10 years old and I met a horse at a summer cottage. We have every, everybody in Finland has a summer cottage. This is a thing oh. in Finland. <laughs> and we, my family went there to the summer cottage and the neighboring farm had a, had a stallion in the field and I had never really been close to a horse and of course I had to go see it and that was it was love at first sight so after that I wanted to start riding and I started in a riding school and I was about 10 years old at that time and I was a riding school rider for a really long time I didn't I didn't really own a horse until I was in my 30s when I had my first horse but um, I rode other people's horses after you know, kind of going through the riding school thing. And then I, I rode other people's horses until I got my own. But um, yeah, that was my beginning. So really, riding school student. Oh, cool. When did you um, become a professional? And like, what was the industry like when you got into it? Um, I actually started teaching at a very young age. So I got into the sport of equestrian vaulting. Are you familiar with this? It's yeah. A, yeah, smaller sport. So I was a vaulter. I started vaulting about, I was, I think, about 14 or 15 years old. We didn't have the sport in Finland at the time, so I was sort of one of the first people to start doing it. And um, mm-hmm. there was a little group of us who started doing it, and we were just literally looking at a guidebook in German and Uh um, looking at the pictures and trying to imitate them. That was our vaulting (laughs) start. But I actually then, about a year later, started teaching vaulting, like I knew anything about it. I'd only been (laughs) doing it for for a year, but I, so I started coaching when I was about 15, and then at 17, I was teaching already riding. So I sort of, I guess, got into it by accident, I would say. you know, I went to school, I got a degree in sports science, I majored in coaching. So mm-hmm. that was my first degree and I was really interested in coaching and, and vaulting really took a lot of my time. I was the first person from my country to compete internationally and I was coaching very much when I was younger. I started the national team in Finland. At the same time, I was teaching riding a little bit here and there just sort of to make money, I guess. Um, it was in the 80s and I would say in the 80s there was a lot of I would say everybody was sort of doing the same thing if I compare it to what's happening now I feel like there's a lot of different ways to do horses at the moment and there's a lot of polarization in a way there's you know 
kind of more like camps, I guess I would say, or people have a, they, they don't, they're re- really, people aren't really agreeing on a lot of things in the horse yeah. world, but in the 80s, everybody was doing the same thing. And mm. it's not necessarily the thing you should be doing with horses, but <laughs> everybody was doing it the same way. So mm-hmm. the industry, I feel it was very different. And um, I, I did a lot of coaching and vaulting. That was my main thing. Um, I was doing, a, I was teaching riding maybe once a week or so when I was studying and you know had other jobs. And, and then I met my husband through vaulting believe it or not he's he's actually American and and then at the end of the 90s I I moved to the US so I I left my home country went to the US I was working with horses there I was teaching a lot more teaching riding dressage Um, I was also coaching vaulting that was basically my main main thing and um, and then through that um, started getting interested in in rider biomechanics and biomechanics in general I was always interested in biomechanics um, also through the sport sports school and sport you know studying sports science we studied biomechanics and and I've also coached other sports not just vaulting I've coached soccer gymnastics something called floorball so I was always interested in kind of the mechanics of the sport or techniques or and vaulting is a very technical sport. I mean, to really do it well, you have to master the technique. So that's really what I got interested in. I don't think it's something that people were interested in in the 80s, really, or 90s. It, 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 wasn't, a, it wasn't a thing. But mm-hmm. for me, it was always something that I was interested in. And I think now, you know, biomechanics is a, is a bigger thing than that it was then. But um, maybe I was one of the first biomechanics freaks I didn't even know it was called that I was just interested in the mechanics of of uh, the movement of the body and and stuff like that so yeah but but it was a different world then in the 80s I would say I believe it yeah that's really cool that you started out um, teaching with the vaulting and actually getting your background and your education and coaching because that's what I struggle with um, too is I'm like I really want to learn how to teach and that just isn't really a skill that um is taught very much or (laughs) you have to really go out on your own how um to learn the psychology behind that so I'm sure that um just gave you so many more tools and abilities um just to help teach yeah and I think the thing that I I taught so many different sports or I was coaching different sports I was also doing a lot of sports myself um, I think it gives me a little bit of a different perspective that if we talk about, you know, riding, because I sort of approach it from a different angle, also because of the vaulting background. I always feel like, you know, all sports are connected in some way, and there's o- always similarities and differences, and you can learn from every sport and every, you know, coach, you can learn something. So I feel that I, you know, when I really started teaching riding, I had a little bit of a different take because I, even though I had been, you know, I've been, I've been with horses since I was 10, but I did so much other stuff on the side that affected a lot of my thinking and a lot of the things that I, you know, the way I approached the sport 
just because I had been doing so many other sports. So I feel like that was in a way a, a richness too that, that um, yeah, that I sort of got accidentally, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that seems really valuable because I feel like most trainers, horses encompass all of your life. So being able to know vaulting and gymnastics and soccer can just give you a lot better perspective on everything. Yeah. When did you start, um, when did you start like diving into horse biomechanics? Um, I think it was really, you know, I, I moved to the U.S. in the end of the 90s and, and then I was coaching vaulting really seriously and, and I, uh, eventually my team won the bronze medal at the world championships in 2004. And um, it was like a two-year project with that team. Um, We really worked hard, you know, to get there. And I was very interested in mechanics at that point because I was, you know, trying and and doing my best in training these girls to, you know, these athletes to be as good as they could be. And, And during that time, I also ran into a biomechanic coach called Mary Wanless from England. And she comes to California. I, I don't know if she still goes there, actually. I'm thinking she does. But at that point, she was, I think she was doing a clinic once a year or every other year. And yeah. I, I ended up going to one of her clinics. And my own riding coach went there, too. And this sort of changed my thinking about writing like quite a bit Mm -hmm. and 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 that piqued my interest and and then in 2005 I moved to Switzerland Mm -hmm. and I was in Europe and I sort of had a big transition right there because I left vaulting behind I I had made a decision that I'm not going to coach it 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 took a lot of time and I had a small child and even though my husband had been a vaulter he also was kind of like you know what this is taking a lot of family time. So I made a conscious decision to stop coaching vaulting. And at that point, I was getting more and more involved in teaching riding. And so I started Mm -hmm. seeking out, you know, more information on that. And that's when I, I actually went to England and I I went there a couple of times to Mary Wanless's place and I, I went through her teacher's training Mm-hmm. And um, I had a coach, also Linda Davy, who's one of Mary's senior teachers, and she would come to Switzerland about every other month, every three months, and, and she was coaching me. So I really started getting more and more involved in that, and and I could see the the effect of it had on the horses when you know when you, the rider's sitting in a correct way, um, you know it just it changes the horse underneath you, and so I was, you know really intrigued with that and wanted to know more about that. Yeah, I um, I also have worked with Mary Wanless um, at her workshops in California. And oh, really? it's just amazing the doors that open up when um, I was riding um, with my trainer who worked with her a lot. It felt like I was learning how to ride for the first time. Yeah, yeah so. I, can, I can relate to that. <laughs> yeah. It definitely, I mean, it, it was one of those things where it's like, wow, I've been riding for 
25 years and now I'm finding this out? This makes right. no sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that seems like a very natural progression from mm-hmm. the vaultine into that. Were, did you take very many like training horses or were you really focused on teaching clients? Um, I rode a lot of horses. I've always been, a, I mean, when, when I, I don't actually ride anymore that much, but when I was riding at that, it, I was riding a lot. I had a lot of, I rode a lot of other people's horses, but I also was teaching other people. So it was sort of 50-50, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. When I lived in the U.S., I had horses in training with me. But I was so focused on the vaulting that that took most of my time. And, and we did have, we had three vaulting horses that I was also riding and training because that's the hard thing about vaulting. It's not like you're just training, you know, these athletes to do these gymnastics moves, but you're also training the horses to be able to carry it. So there's like double the work, you know, compared, yeah. <laughs> compared to like soccer where you just, you're training the team. But mm-hmm. um, vaulting, you know, that's why it took so much time because you're training the horses, you're training the, the vaulters. But um, yeah, I would say I, I, did, I did do a lot of riding and I rode a lot of different kind of horses, but I've always been interested in teaching. It definitely was something that I, was, I really was drawn to since I was very, very young. Like already when I was, you know, before I was even coaching vaulting, I was, you know, gathering all the kids in our, you know, neighborhood and teaching them, you know, building them a bike road, you know, through the woods and teaching them techniques how to bike through without touching the ground with their foot. I mean, I don't, I I would always, I would come up with something that I I was always teaching somebody something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was always kind of drawn to the teaching and, um, and slowly it, it took more and more space, I would say, you know, and I, I, you know, rode other people's horses less and, you know, had my own horse and then, then started teaching more. And, and really, once we moved to Finland, I lived in Switzerland for about six years and, and I was teaching there um, a little, on like kind of, I would say part time. And then once we moved to Finland, 2011, that's when I really, really started teaching more. Oh, cool. How um, did you get into the emotional aspect? What was your introduction to that? Yeah, I think um, there's kind of a, it's kind of a, I think it came two ways. Uh, there was like an, the natural continuum because, you know, when you're starting to do rider bi- biomechanics and you become quite aware of your own body and you're instructing other people to be aware of you know their body parts and what they're doing and your consciousness it's like your your consciousness of your body is starting to develop and when people go into their bodies usually they also start recognizing their emotions a lot of people a lot of us live in our heads and you know we're doing a lot of thinking and we're sort of cut off a little bit from our bodies and then once we really start becoming more aware of our body that's when we start becoming more aware of our emotions so I started realizing that I had a lot of students who had riding fear Um, they had frustration they had different kinds of emotions and and at first I was I didn't really know what to do with it 
you know, like how do I deal with this fact that my student, you know, is afraid of cantering or how can I help them? Because I, I didn't recognize those feelings in myself. I felt like, oh, well, I've never really been afraid. I've always been kind of just somebody who will ride pretty much any horse. And mm -hmm. I, I didn't really understand my students, so I, I that was one of these things that I, I wanted to understand, like how do I help these people who have these, you know, fear or anxiety when they're riding? Um, and then the other thing that kind of brought me, you know, from a, a different route to this point was, was a particular horse who mm -hmm. basically laid it in front of me and I couldn't look back, look, look away anymore. So, and, and sort of brought me to look at my own emotions. And, mm -hmm. and these two paths sort of started to intersect more. I, there was, I started to become more and more aware of my own emotions and, and realizing sort of like, okay, there's a lot of things I'm covering up and I'm maybe not looking at and should be looking at. And, you know, I'm not that different from my students. And so I started looking for help for myself and to know myself more. And, and then it sort of I don't know, the rest is history, I guess you would say. I mean, and, and the journey continues. I mean, this is really, I feel like something that maybe you're never ready, I don't know. But um, but so that these are the two paths that started to merge, I guess you would say. Yeah, that makes sense. It's all connected, I feel like. When you dive into emotions, you're gonna discover more about your body. And when you dive into your body, you become very aware of what's it, happening ex inside. Exactly, exactly. And that's my, my philosophy in general. You know, I was studying so much of the biomechanics and, you know, technicalities. And and um, I never really, you know, when I was studying um, Ride With Your Mind, which is Mary's, I never did the final exam because I felt like, you know, there's something else I need to, I still need to discover and I don't know if I can teach this. You know, I, I, I have to, I was on such a, a path of like so many things coming from different directions and, and so now what I have here in Finland, I have my own, own business and it's called Coaching with Connection, which, you know, has, it's, it has three aspects to it and one of them is the technique, which is really important and is something that is really focused on in riding it's it's basically people focus a lot on their horses how their horse is moving how it's jumping how hard it's jumping how can we make it move better you know the horse's technique but um i like to focus on the human technique and and how the human is sitting on top of the horse so that we can you know get the horse to do better in the riding but i also see that there's also our mind is very evolved involved in this process our consciousness and then of course our our emotions, our heart. So it's sort of like, you know, body, mind, and heart, all those three are just as important. You know, I, sometimes people ask for me, you know, what is, are the emotions more important than, you know, the technique that I'm doing or the way I'm riding and, or is it more important than what I'm doing with my mind? But you can't really say if any one of them is more important than the other and we, we need all three of them. So, um, yeah, so I, you know, you can't separate them, like you said. They, they all lead to one another. Yeah. Um, would you mind sharing that story about the horse that had you really dive into the emotional aspect? 
Yeah, sure. I can I can share. I think a pivotal moment, which it's not a pretty story, but you know the 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 good stories are never pretty. I would say. Um, no. Yeah, this was a it was a client's horse, and and her name was aptly Little Love, <laughs> and um, this client came to me um, with this horse, and she had owned the horse for a couple of years. Uh, it was a big black Oldenburg mare, and she said, you know. If you can't help me, I'm probably going to just, you know, call it quits. I'm going to, you know, get rid of this horse and, and that's going to be it. I, we, we just, I can't do this anymore. And a lot of trainers had helped her. A lot of trainers had tried to ride this horse. She had been to 16 different homes by the age of six. Um, Whoa. Yeah, she, she had a, an amazing pedigree. So she, everybody had tried to make her the next dressage horse and, and great movement and, you know, and then, you know, me with my, at that moment, quite big ego was thinking, well, I'm going to be the trainer who's going to get this horse to go and I'm going to help this lady. And, and, um, so I started riding the horse and I started giving the lady lessons and, and it all started well, but I could tell immediately that this is no ordinary horse and this is not an easy ride in any shape or form. And, um, I was at this point already at a point in my life um, I have to back up a little bit and, and, and tell you a little bit from my beginning. When I started riding, you know, people, I, I, w- I was always told that you have to be the boss and you have to tell the horse where its place is. And, you know, it doesn't matter how it happens, but you need to do that. And if that means that you get to whip the horse or you got to kick the horse, you got to do that. And that's the way I was trained. I was trained like this since I was a little child. And so that's what I would do and at some point you know this all started changing and I and I realized you know there is another way and I stopped using draw reins and you know stopped doing those kinds of things that I'd done before so by the time I met Little Love I was already I had the sense in my head to think you know I'm not going to put this horse you know I'm not going to put draw reins on her or I'm not going to get the you know the next bit in fact the owner gave me this huge box that weighed probably like 50 pounds and it was just full of different bits that this horse had had and they had tried and there were bits in there that I'd never seen before I mean it was it was pretty bad and so I had the sense in me to realize you know that's not going to be the solution I need to come up with some kind of solution and um, so you know I'm trying things and it's not working it it really riding this horse was either she would just take off like a crazy horse and you couldn't stop her or she would completely freeze and not go anywhere Mm. and I didn't have the wherewithal at this point in my life you know it's the early what was it 2006 or something like that and and I didn't have the wherewithal to think okay what is going on with this horse like this could I mean right now I would think first thing I'd be like okay she must have pain somewhere she must maybe be traumatized I'm just trying to find the solution how to get this horse to go and it was not working and I was starting to get very very frustrated and the frustration was starting to get so big that at at some point I realized that I may have a problem controlling myself so I stopped riding with the whip and it's so naive, like I really thought that dropping the whip is gonna get rid of my frustration. 
I was afraid I was going to actually hit this horse and quite hard. And so I, mm-hmm. my solution to it was like to drop the whip. Well, I can tell you that you get even more frustrated after that. And, um, and then there was one day I was in the arena, thank goodness, by myself in the indoor arena. And we got onto this, again, this wrong path with this horse. It was always some kind of an argument or war or whatever. And, and I just literally lost it. So if you've ever seen a three, four-year-old child, you know, kind of have a temper tantrum and throw themselves on the ground. Well, I was kind of do I was doing that at, yeah. I don't know, almost 40 years old on top of a horse. And to my benefit, the horse, little love, she, I mean, she could have, you know, bucked me off. She could have reared. She liked rearing. It was one of her fortes. <laughs> um, she didn't do any of that. She just stood there and took it and basically kind of shut down. And I had this tantrum. I'm almost 40 years old. I'm having a tantrum on top of a horse. And the shame that followed from that, you know, it's indescribable. I mean, obviously, you know, I took the horse back into the stable and I went home and I mean, I was crying in my pillow and I I was just, I just, it was a breakdown. I had some kind of like mini breakdown there. And at that moment, I realized I have two options. My first one is just to call the owner of this horse and say, you know what? I'm sorry, I can't ride your horse. You know, find somebody else. You know, I thought about that for maybe a split second. And then the other one was really just to look in the mirror and just ask myself, what is wrong with you? Why are you behaving like this? Why is this happening? What is, what is causing this, this emotion? And so I decided to do that. And, um, and you know, what, 15, 16 years later, here I am. Um, it really, it, it was a really a turning point for me. It was, it, it really prompted me to look at myself. Who am I? And why am I having these emotions? And what's behind them? And, and it sent me on a, in a massive journey. And, and, um, and I, oh, I, I had a lot of moments with this horse. I mean, she was very good at, um, I called it ego stripping. She, she liked to um, sort of strip my ego <laughs> one tear at a time, which was great because she, she was um, the best emotional guide a person can have. And eventually, you know, years after this, I, I bought her and she became my own horse. So, Aww. yeah, but she, she, she brought me down to my knees and, and I decided to take the invitation instead of mm-hmm. look away, which I would have maybe done before. And um, I had always kind of been a rider who would, you know, I, I think I covered, well, I, I, I know I covered a lot of things up with, you know, frustration and rage and, 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 and that's something that in the horse industry, it, it can be celebrated in a way. Like yeah. I, I got a lot of positive feedback when I was younger for being you know, the spunky rider or, you know, showing that horse and putting that horse in its place. And, and behind all that, there was a lot of fear. I mean, a lot of fear of, you know, obviously getting hurt, but also fear of, you know, losing face. Um, you know, everybody seeing that I actually am not as good as, you know, everybody thinks I am, or, you know, a, a lot of these, 
you know, feel feelings of inadequacy or whatever, you know, and I was covering it all up with this, this rage like behavior and aggressive behavior towards horses. So, um, but little of um, brought me to look at that. And oh. I, I am, I am forever grateful to her for that. So yeah, I feel like that frustration is so common, especially in trainers, and people just be like, yeah, well, she's rough, but she gets results, and mm-hmm. just, it's really accepted, Yeah, which I think maybe, too, in Western culture, that's kind of a bigger approach to life, of mm-hmm. just push through it, just get results, do what you have to do, so yeah. I think that's, and a lot of people don't do what you did where you really looked inside and instead of blaming the horse you did the really hard emotional work Mm -hmm. (laughs) because horses are so good at bringing out that frustration yes they (laughs) are emotional creatures yeah so what were some of like the tools or how did you um go forward with that well I did a lot of reading I have to say I um I, yeah, I read a lot of books. I also have, um, I'm very, I'm very, very lucky that I have two very good friends and um, who I was able to talk to about this. Um, I also did some therapy. I did a lot of writing. Um, I also turned around completely with this horse and sort of asked her to guide me and and I sort of started approaching or looking for different kinds of ways of being with horses so I had been really focused on riding and I started looking for people you know who do other things with horses and and trying I guess different things and and with for example with little love I would I, you know I decided okay I'm gonna just spend time with her I mean I I never really spent time with horses I was always doing something I was always mm-hmm. you know tacking them up and riding them and you know whatever it was always doing 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 and I decided you know what let's take a moment and let's just be you know what can I learn from this and, and what I did learn in the beginning is that horses didn't really want to be with me because, mm. you know, why would you? <laughs> I mean, I was, <laughs> I was not a nice person to be with. You know, from that perspective, I mean, little of, you know, she would walk as far away as if she could from me and turn her behind towards me. And I'd be like, okay, I guess that's a statement in itself. And, you know, and, and all these moments brought so many more emotions, which, again, you're like, okay, you know, you thought horses you know thought loved you just as much as you love horses but um they don't so what are you going to do about it you know and and I think it was a really a combination of things I have to say I got a lot of help from um there's an American researcher called Brené Brown I don't know if this you're familiar with her yeah I'm familiar with yeah so I I you know I did actually some online courses with her I read all her books well, that's when she was kind of coming out with the books and stuff. And so I, I, was, I was really doing a lot of that work. And, um, but like I said, I guess the best, the best guide was, was little love and the self-reflection. And, and you're really being honest with yourself too because 
it you know it was when you start doing that kind of work you it, it it there's no sense in lying anymore it's important to just you know even though it's ugly you you want to look at it you got to be like you know what let's really go through this and um it took i mean it took years obviously it takes a long time and and like i said i think it can always con- it continues and you know until the end of time yeah you're constantly peeling back more mm-hmm. yeah it's <laughs> layers. like a, mm-hmm, like an onion <laughs> yeah i i've found that two maybe about like two years ago I had a really challenging mare that (laughs) she scared me and she was the only horse that's really ever scared me before and I just got so frustrated um and just like wow I don't know how to help this horse and I um found Warwick Schiller um Mm -hmm. about just paying more attention to the horse and being and then at that same time too I took a Masterson method workshop where you're just paying attention to their eyes and noticing if they're releasing mm-hmm. and it just opened up a whole new world where I thought before I was in tune with horses um, but now I'm like man there were so many things that I just did not even notice that the horse was telling me they were worried about and just listening I found like just mm-hmm. standing there waiting noticing when they come down and not putting all that pressure like hey well I can see that you're tense but I'm just gonna do it anyways I think they know when you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that just lets them relax yeah yeah and I think that's the thing I mean and it's interesting really with horses because you know every what has it been now it's been I've been with horses over 40 years and I feel like every decade is kind of like a oh, now I think I know a lot about horses. And then it's like, no, you really didn't know half of it. And here's another layer of it. And and you always think that, you know, I've seen it all, but then there's always more. It's it's quite intriguing. It's It's amazing, really. Yeah, I think that's what I love so much about horses is there. It's never ending. Yeah. <laughs> there's always is. more to learn. <laughs> yes, that is definitely true. How did the people around you respond when you started um, taking a different approach? That's a good question. Well, some of them definitely were on the same kind of path. I mean, we all have our own paths, but, you know, there was a, a lot of similarities. A lot of my friends were going through similar things, I would say. Um, there were also some people who didn't really like what I was doing or felt like I had maybe drank the Kool-Aid mm-hmm. and I I was maybe wasting, you know, whatever talent I ever had or, you know, felt like I was going the wrong way and, um, you know, I there were some people who were talking behind my back I'm pretty aware of that and and also because I was trying a lot of things and I was really curious and I also started questioning pretty much everything I had ever been taught about horses and mm-hmm. when I say everything I really mean everything and when you start questioning things it makes feel people quite uncomfortable and um, I try to be diplomatic about it at some point but it's, you know, it's hard. Sometimes it's just 
the fact that you are questioning, even if you're not questioning somebody else's doings, but your own, it, it, it makes people uncomfortable. So, you know, there were some, I would say some tense moments a couple of times. Um, so yeah, I know, I know there are some people who, who felt like it was, it was strange or, or, you know, you, you kind of move on, I guess, from some, <laughs> you have to leave some people behind in a way when you're, you're moving your own direction and, and they're not going the same direction. So there, I think there were, was definitely a couple of years that was in that way, kind of a struggle. You kind of feel like, well, where do I, you know, belong and, and who are, who's my tribe, you know, am I here by myself doing this? And, and I was living in Switzerland and definitely, you know, there, it was hard because I guess when I first landed there, I had a certain kind of image and, you know, that she's like this and she's going to ride, she rides like this and she rides horses and she does these things. And then suddenly I'm doing something completely different. It threw a lot of people off, but, um, But slowly, I feel, and then also with my clients too. Uh, thankfully, I would didn't have a ton of them at that point, and so when I started really teaching more, I realized that I really have to sort of come out of the closet and say, "This is how I think about things, and this is what I'm doing right now, so that I can get the right clients." You know, the clients who want to be with me and who are meant to be with me, because you know, not everybody's meant to teach everybody so um, there was kind of a transition period I would say you know and me also finding myself and realizing you know these are my values and and this is who I am with horses and these are the things I do and don't do with horses and um, yeah so I, I yeah it, it it took a while I would say yeah that makes sense it's hard to find well it's hard to find the right people but I feel like once you become um like confident in yourself the right people end up coming to you but that transition period is hard especially if you're more in the high performance high competitive people have these expectations and as a professional like myself you used to have that idea of like what success looks like so moving away from that can definitely mm-hmm. be challenging. <laughs> yes, definitely. And I, I think it did help that, you know, I had already decided I'm not coaching vaulting. So that world was already behind me. And because of that, I was already making kind of a transition. And then since I was questioning everything, really, I had kind of an identity crisis too, because, you know, I'd kind of seen myself as a dressage rider, even though I haven't really competed in dressage a ton. I have competed in, you know, here and there, but mainly it was just, you know, for the, my dressage horse or the vaulting horses. And, and I, I never really had the focus to do it, but I, I still had this identity of a, a certain kind of horse person. And then, you know, your identity is sort of in turmoil and you're kind of trying to find where you really are going or who's going with you and, and all that. But, but I think it was all good. It was, it was necessary you know, and I, I think that also taught me a lot and it, it's helped me help other people who are in similar situations. Yeah. So now do you mostly, so you do the coaching with connection, is that mostly in person or is that um, online? Um, at the moment in Finland, I, I do clinics. So mm-hmm. I mainly do clinics 
Um, I also have an online course. So when we're just talking about, you know, teaching people how to ride or sit on their horses or, or do the rider biomechanics, I, I, I do that. Um, at the moment, I'm having less and less time to do that. And I've, you know, I started a teacher's training here in Finland a couple of years ago. So I'm mm -hmm. focusing more on te doing the teaching there so that they can go out and teach because I just I don't possibly have enough time. I've also been, for the past four years, I've been doing lectures on, you know, just sort of talks on um, the emotions and how our emotions affect, you know, anything we do with horses. And, and I also have um, some online presence with that too, um, you know, some courses are, are just specifically for people who have, you know, fear or anxiety with horses, but there are also so many other emotions, like I was talking about my own frustration, which is, you know, a, a big emotion also connected to horses and, 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 um, and also, you know, shame and, and all those other emotions. So I'm trying to bring those also to the forefront. I, um, I just recently published a, I co-published a book um, with a, a psycho, she's a somatic psychotherapist. She's actually was my client. And then mm -hmm. um, we sort of became friends and colleagues. And then I had had this idea of a book for a long time because I wanted to write, write some kind of a guidebook for equestrians so that people wouldn't have to go through the same Year, several year long process that I had to go through to you know to dwell into my own emotions and and figure out all these things I wanted to sort of have some kind of a guidebook that people could read and have like a you know some kind of understanding of their own emotions and and hor also horses emotions and and how you know horses and humans share emotions all the time and so uh, my colleague, so Laura Manila and I, we wrote a book, and um, it just came out this this spring in Finland, and it's basically emotional skills for equestrians, and it's been really well received. They already took a second print of it, and it's it's been an important, I think, an important milestone on in in this this I don't even know what to call it journey, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. And, and I feel like I, that's where my work is going now, to more towards that. I do also phone consultations, which is becoming more a bigger and bigger part of my work where people, you know, I coach people. You know, it's kind of like a emotional coaching or mental coaching, however you want to call it. Um, in, in, different they have different situations with their horses and and so I coach them with that and and um, I just recently also I graduated as a trust technique practitioner I don't know if you're familiar with trust technique it's um, I haven't heard of that it's um I would say it's a you know it's based on the premise that humans and animals share feelings and you know usually when we think about that we're always thinking about you know, we, you know, when a human gets anx anxious, the horse will get anxious, or you know, the horse will be fearful, and then the human will get fearful. And but we also share feelings of peace, and mm -hmm. and this, it's so it's it's a mindfulness 
based practice in which you you know bring the horse's mind down an emotional state down by bringing your own mind down and it's sort of like a cross between mindfulness and meditation with a horse but it's um it's 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 an amazing technique so i'm sort of moving more and more towards i guess teaching teaching away from the teaching you know riding to teaching people to be more mindful and and um and to you know understand their emotional lives with their horses yeah i feel like so many people are yearning for that sort of knowledge even people who don't quite know that they are yet i think a lot of people are really open to it and it's so vital because if you're trying to train someone how to train a horse it's like this checklist and you aren't actually giving the the tools to discover it by themselves but i feel like if you teach them to be aware of their emotions and how they're affecting the horse Mm -hmm. that they can just learn how to be a good partner for their horse and Mm -hmm. train them through that that's like the most important part about being a horse yeah and it really there's a lot of people who i feel that there's a lot of people who have have horses and they're not happy like there it's it's not a good there's like always something like horse people are really worried everybody's always a worry is a big emotion it's Mm -hmm. a lot of horse owners are always worried about their horse and i mean of course you know you know they're you know is the horse sick are they colicking is everything okay are they you know what's wrong and and worry is a very it's a big emotion to carry around but it's also a big emotion for horses to receive on a daily basis and just Mm -hmm. that emotion alone i mean if we could just let go somehow of that it would i i swear it would change the horse world it would change people's world you know the way they are with horses because we just like you said i think it was you're really right with that when you say that um there's a lot of people who who kind of yearn for this even though they don't know they yearn for this Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of you know we love horses so much and we're sort of we're ready to go through almost anything to be with them Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's it's sort of like you can just stop and be like, hey, you don't have to go through all that. You know, it, it, there's a better way. It doesn't have to be such an emotional struggle because a lot of times it is, you know, and, and we have a lot of worry and anxiety and, you know, or anger. It's not going. Why is it not going the way I want it to go? Or, you know, is the horse sick? Is the, you know, there's just so much there that... Um, I, that's one wish I would have. I would would hope for people to find more peace, you know, mm-hmm. in in whatever they're doing with horses, and then through that, horses will find more peace too. It really, yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. I think too. It also gives. I feel like a lot of people don't trust themselves around horses, or they're like, "Well, the trainer knows better," or just this self-doubt and I feel like if you can get that emotional um Mm -hmm. awareness then they can be more confident in saying yes or no and knowing whether or not it's actually 
good for their horse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's very true. I I feel that a lot of people get kind of drawn into situations they really didn't want to get drawn into because they're not they're they're insecure and they kind of go like, well, you know, this person's saying this and I should probably do that or my trainer told me to do this even though I feel like I really shouldn't or there's like like some small little voice in me thinking this is not correct but or something in my body feels like this is wrong but I'm still doing it because I don't trust my voice or I don't trust that little voice inside me and that's it's really unfortunate and and um, I also do think that horses tell us a lot of things that we're not always aware of. Mm-hmm. And and I feel that once you become more aware of your own emotions and you become more aware of the horse's emotions and and you start sort of being able to take in more of what horses are saying to you, you know, as well as what you're saying yourself, you know, that what, what's, you know, what the, the messages that are coming from inside you and, and, and from your horse. Yeah. Yeah, they, they tell us a lot. <laughs> yes, they do. They really, really, really do. And I think a lot of times we sort of block it away and just kind of, we got to keep going. We got to do this. And I think that's the one thing also with with us humans, we always have these agendas and, you know, we, we got to do it this way. And today I, I have this plan and I'm not going to give up my plan no matter what happens. And and um, I think when you become more aware of your emotions and the horse's emotions, you, you sort of start learning to sometimes stop and say, hey, maybe I can change my plans today because, mm-hmm. you know, today I feel, you know, I feel like this is a smarter choice right now instead of just saying you know i i made this plan and today we are going to do this no matter what yeah i'm always kind of surprised sometimes online i'll see people talking about that and they'll have it like scheduled out what day of the week exactly what they're gonna work on and to me i'm my mind is always blown i think writing has come naturally to me fortunately Mm -hmm. but I just didn't even realize that people <laughs> had that much of a perspective of like, oh, this is just what I'm doing. I'm like, I never know what I'm going to do with a horse. Yeah. Just go into the day, maybe have like rough ideas of things I want to work on, but who knows? It could go anywhere. Like yeah. yesterday, a horse, we just stood at the mounting block and it was great. We accomplished a lot. <laughs> yeah, good for you. I mean, yeah. I it took me a long time to get to that point because I was really the person who was always like, okay. Now we're training. We gotta do this. We gotta do 15 minutes of canter because the horse needs conditioning for this. And you know, I don't care what's going on with a horse, but he needs to do this. And it never. I really never stopped to listen and be like, hey, maybe today's not the smartest day to do this, or you know, maybe you know the weather's like this, and I should perhaps not be putting the horse through this today. And nope, did not even cross my mind. I had my plan, you know. Yeah. But, those were the days I'm definitely not like that anymore but (laughs) yeah and sometimes it's really smart I mean and and listening to yourself in situations I sometimes talk to people you know who say you know they you know something happened they got into an accident and they're like well I kind of had this feeling I really shouldn't you know do x y and z today but I just pushed through because I had this plan and you know and then you know something bad happened and it's sort of like they 
they knew already that, oh, I shouldn't have jumped that last jump or I shouldn't have gone on a trail ride with weather being like this today, but I, I had just decided and I, I was, you know, you're not listening to yourself and you're not listening to your horse. And that's, that's, um, yeah. Yeah, I think people are taught to not listen to their fear or fear is a bad thing that you need to push through. But the majority of the time with horses, I feel like that fear is really information that they need to listen to. And it's what's keeping you safe and it's the horse communicating with you. Yes, Um, exactly. And you have to decipher. Yeah, yeah. And fear is really an important uh, emotion for us because it is, it's meant to keep us safe. And I think a lot of times we push it aside and I know a lot of you know, even when I was a kid, when I was in the riding school, you know, if you seemed like you were afraid, you know, my teacher would say, oh, you know, don't show the horse you're afraid and and don't show your fear and you got to be tough and, you know, and so you kind of get this idea that it's bad to be afraid. And so you you start hiding it, you know, from people. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the horses know all the time how you're feeling. And that's what I keep telling my clients. I'm like, you know, it doesn't matter what you're trying to do. The horse knows how you feel. Of course, for the horse, it's it's super suspicious when the ho- person is fearful but is acting something else because horses don't act. So they find that quite yeah. quite strange. But um, but yeah, but it's still. I think to this day, there's a lot of that taught even to children, not to show their fear, and and I think it's a really dangerous piece of advice because that's when you like you like I did you start shutting it out and just going like okay you know that's not an emotion I'm supposed to have around horses so I'm just not going to have that I'm just not going to even acknowledge it and soon you don't even know you're afraid you know yeah I feel like to something that people always forget horses are crazy intelligent but they forget that they're prey animals and people think that they think like people and they don't and I um when people can kind of take that step back and look at it truly from the horse's perspective it gives you so much more compassion and ability to actually work through like oh that fear I'm scared because the horse is also scared not because Mm -hmm. They're trying to be naughty or dangerous. And I shouldn't work through this because it's just going to make everything worse. Yeah, yeah. And that's also a skill to recognize when the emotion is yours or when it's the horse's emotion. And I I remember one of the the first moments when I realized that because when I really did start feeling fear for the first time, um, there were moments where I'm like, wait a minute. Like, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm afraid, but why am I, you know, I'm, you know, my pulse is racing and I'm starting, you know, and I'm like, okay, wait, this is coming from the horse and, and, and recognizing when it's your own emotion and when it's the horse's emotion, that's just transferring into your body is also really something that um, is important to understand that that also happens. And, And it goes the other way, of course, you know, horses feel our emotions, but we also feel theirs. So, mm-hmm. We share emotions all the time and and um yeah that's why it's important to be able to recognize and like you said earlier it it really all emotions are information to they're really there to tell us what's important to us right in that moment definitely and i think if people just if that is like one thing they take away is that statement right there 
to just take everything as information and not judge it as mm-hmm. good or bad, mm-hmm. but just what is the horse telling me? Yeah. How can I proceed? Yeah, and that's really hard because, you know, we're that's the one trait I think that we have as humans that animals don't have is that we will have emotions about emotions. So yeah. you're going to be afraid and then soon you're going to be ashamed that you're mm-hmm. afraid or you're going to be angry that you're afraid or whatever it is. So we have these layers of emotions and sometimes that's what's really difficult is to be able to see behind it all and be like okay what is the root emotion here why what is happening you know I'm you know like I did I thought I was you know frustrated or angry but really it wasn't anger was just covering up for all the other stuff that was underneath and and anger does that a lot you know anger is one of those emotions a secondary emotion often there's other emotions underneath it and we just can't look at them so you know it's it's easier to be angry than afraid or yeah. angry angry than ashamed so definitely um yeah and and that's kind of a human trait because you know animals don't judge their emotions you know horses don't go like oh my gosh i'm afraid i shouldn't be afraid they just are afraid and mm-hmm. um it's us humans who put labels on those things and then say you know i am not allowed to do this so let me let me come up with something else that i can put on top of this so that i you know it's acceptable or i can handle it yeah definitely what are some of the emotions that you feel like people struggle with most or at least with your clients and what are some of the ways you help them like work through that Mm, that's a big question. <laughs> How long do you have? Well, I have a while. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, fear fear is definitely something I feel that is present a lot of times with horses. Um, the other one, of course, is frustration. But I would say I would say f- fear. And then really a certain kind of anxiety, which I think is connected a lot to worry. You know, the worry of doing the right thing, the worry of the horse being okay, um, especially if there's been injuries, you know, the horse has been sick, um, the anxiety of, you know, being good enough. Um, there's, a lot, there's a lot of anxiety, I mean, sadly, really anxiety um I guess the and you know underneath all I I feel like we there's like the three basic emotions the fear anger and then shame usually we all have one of those that is sort of more prevalent in our lives Mm -hmm. um whatever it is is usually underneath even though you know I'll I'll have a client who you know become my client because they want to talk about their anxiety when they go to a riding competition you know a dressage competition they feel anxious and then you know once we start going a little deeper we find out all kinds of things and there's you know maybe shame or there's something else like that underneath that they're not aware of so um it's hard to say how to you know there's really not one way I would say like this is this is you do this and then you know you will be helped but Mm -hmm. I I think 
uh, it's really important just to be aware once you start becoming aware of your own emotions you're already I feel like on a really good path and and you're able to feel them in your body because a lot of times people are not quite even sure what they're feeling it it we we humans often mix emotions with thinking you know mm-hmm. you know thoughts and emotions like am i thinking this or am i feeling this because the feeling is really it's it's in the body and a lot of times we talk about that with my clients you know where are you feeling this in your body and and they often don't feel the emotion until it's sort of at its height you know they're not I, I'm trying to teach them to be aware of, you know, when are you starting to feel anxious or when you start feeling fear, I often ask the question, you know, how afraid are you? You'd say from one to 10, 10 is like total panic and one is not at all really. And when you start being aware of like, okay, now it's a five and now it just went to an eight, what happened to do that? Why did that happen? Why did it become an eight? And why is it now coming down to a three? Because often we mm-hmm. just kind of go like, oh, I'm afraid. But that's, that's a very, it's kind of a, a, a vague statement in many ways. And especially with children, this is really helpful too, to ask, you know, you know, some, you can use also colors with children and stuff. You can say, is it, you know, are you on the green or are you yellow or are you red? you know but but with adults so i would use the numbers and and usually when they start kind of paying attention mm-hmm. to that i think that's already a huge start because then once you start paying attention you start kind of processing and also self reflecting a little bit of what is happening and and where is this coming from because sometimes they it, it's really not what you think it is mm-hmm. and um so yeah, so I mean, I gave them a lot of exercises and, and we also, we do a lot of talking. Um, and I think the horses are always the best guides. So I try to always direct people to um, observe the horses and, and learn from the horses mm-hmm. because they really tell us if we just listen. Yeah. It kind of, I feel like horses are kind of just like neurofeedback, <laughs> just inherently. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this just sounds like neurofeedback. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's true. That's really yeah. well said. <laughs> yeah. So, and I feel like the horses can, well, it's less judgmental. I, I feel like horses can definitely bring up um a lot of emotions but they're kind of more neutral like if someone mm-hmm. else were to say it but when that person can see the horse responding mm-hmm. negatively or positively they can actually digest that information better yeah and i think horses you know they in all honesty i mean they literally aren't it, it they have their behavior and i always say that you know don't take it personally it's it's not like the horse is resisting you you know it's resisting this situation we are in and you know I kind of feel sometimes that horses kind of look at you and they're like okay you're like that so I'll just be like this mm-hmm. and then that's how simple it is and so I think at that point when you start realizing these things 
about yourself, I think you also start looking at the horse a little differently. And that's the one thing I also want to always like the podcast I have in Finland that I do. I think because, you know, the whole premise of the podcast is that um, each episode is about a horse that I have met in my life and what that horse taught me. Mm -hmm. And through this podcast, um, people have been, you know, sending me messages and telling me like, oh, I'm looking at my horse a little differently now and I'm, I'm slowing down and I'm actually paying attention. And mm -hmm. when you start doing that, you also start seeing your own eff the effect you have on the horse. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's almost like, you know, I know in a way people say sometimes like horse is your mirror. And in many ways, it, a horse is our mirror, but the horse also has their own emotional life and their own personality and their own everything, you know. They're also their own persona in a way. And, and sure, they reflect back. And there is that reflection when you start looking at the horse, looking at you, and you start becoming more and more aware of like, wow, this is what it, this is what I'm doing when I'm mm -hmm. coming into the space with this horse and the horse is reacting like this. Is this coming from me? Is what is going on? Like, how can I change my behavior or my inner world to be different to help this horse? That's when it's like the process has really started and nothing can stop that at that point anymore. It, it yeah. sort of, something switches in the, in the human at that point, I feel. And it's the ball just starts rolling and, and they start making these realizations on their own. But a lot of it is really comes down to awareness. It's just being aware of yourself, but and also aware of the horse. Mm. And, um, and, and I think it, it takes a little bit of a slowing down because that was my problem in the beginning I feel or you know the first 20 30 whatever years it was um almost 30 years is that I was always doing I was mm -hmm. always always I didn't have time to stop and so if a horse didn't behave the way I expected them to behave or didn't do what I wanted them to do it was irritating because you are, I'm in a hurry. I'm on a complete mm -hmm. agenda. And it's like, I got to get this done. It needs to be done. Like, what are you doing now? Why, why are you not letting me catch you from the field? Like, what's wrong with you? And, and I didn't have the wherewithal or the time to just go, wow, the horse is not letting me catch, the, catch it. What yeah. is going on? Why is that? How can I be? Is there something going on with me, perhaps? You know, I there wasn't enough time for that. But once you start making time, it doesn't take a lot to slow down. But when you start slowing down a little bit, mm -hmm. it it's everything changes. Yeah, I think that would be a good tool for when people are trying to find a trainer for their horse. Is noticing like is this person rushed all the time? Are they working every day of the year or? Are they calm? Are they open? Are they flexible? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because if you you could be the kindest trainer in the world, but if you are overworking yourself, the horses mm -hmm. are are gonna um, they're gonna be the yeah. ones that pay for that. Yes. Yes. Definitely. And that's yeah. That's really it's really really true. I mean, 
yeah it's it's a that's a good way to put it Mm -hmm. yeah um and then I have a question how has a failure or a parent failure set you up for success later and do you have a favorite failure well, my favorite failure is definitely that temper tantrum I had on Little Love. But there's a yeah. couple of other ones. Um, there was one time, for example, um, so because I started doing different things with Little Love, I decided, you know, riding needs to be kind of on the back in the back seat, and I need to try other things. And one of the things she she was in, incapable of going on a trail ride by herself. She had. Um, a lot of separation anxiety and just anxiety in general this horse was afraid of everything mm-hmm. um it, it, i thought that was her personality but it really wasn't because once she once she was mine and she moved into an open barn and she didn't even live in a stall anymore this animal was a completely different animal and she was not afraid of anything but um at that point she was still you know quite hyper and was afraid of everything and people try to go on trail rides with her and she would you know take off and run home and whatnot and and I decided Mm -hmm. to start walking her in hand Mm -hmm. I did a lot lot of in hand work with her in general and um and I was doing we had a little loop and I actually got to a a good point where we could walk our little half an hour loop and she was okay and um then one day we're walking and we're coming back to the barn and the farm next door they had brought this really big white plastic bag into the middle of the road I guess it was there you know for the garbage truck to pick up and and little love was really afraid of white things she had mm. a thing it was didn't matter if it was a dog or a bird or a plastic bag but everything white was absolutely horrifying to her and this <sighs> white thing is in the middle of the road and of course you know I'm still in my head we gotta get back home we gotta I mean she was starting to get really nervous and we I we had to pass it I mean to get home and um and she wanted to go home too at this point and we're starting to pass it and there was like a really loud sound because there was it was a cow barn and you know whatever something happened inside the barn and there was a loud sound and she's mm-hmm. completely freaked out and reared and mm-hmm. we're on this asphalt road and she's slipping all over the place and she's almost falling over and she's dragging me and it was just like a really bad scene and in that split second I made a decision I had never made in my entire life and I let her loose so I Mm -hmm. deliberately I threw the lead rope over her back and was just like go I don't care Mm -hmm. you know I I felt like if I held on to her it was like a it was kind of a visceral feeling of like if I hold on to this horse somebody's gonna get hurt like I'm gonna get hurt or she's gonna get hurt or we're both gonna get hurt it's just bad and I threw the lead rope over her back and just went, you know what, go home. And we were, we were fairly close to home. And the very second after I threw that lead rope, I let go of it. I was like, oh, my God, no, no. Like, you can't let a horse loose. I mean, that is like one of those unwritten rules of the horse world is you do mm. not let horses loose. I mean... That has been drilled into my head. And I was a trainer, and I just let a horse loose. Yeah. And, of course, you know, she, like, she trot, she, like, ran off, but she stopped. Mm-hmm. And she turned around, and she looked at me. And I was like, okay, stay there, stay there. I'm going to come and catch you, okay? 
you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thinking, oh my God, she's going to go to the bar and everybody's going to see I let her loose. This is going to be really bad. What are they going to think about me? You know, this whole thing is going in my mm-hmm. head. And, you know, I start walking over towards her. And when I was about, you know, six to eight feet away from her, she starts walking away from me. Oh. And she's <laughs> calmly walking to the barn and I'm walking behind, behind her. And I'm telling you, it's like the walk of shame because if I got any closer to her than about six to eight feet, she would speed up. She was like, yeah. no, you're not catching me, lady. And she's walking in front of me. I'm walking behind her. And of course, when we come into the yard, isn't everybody just standing there? All the dressage riders of the barn had decided to go to a trail ride together. And they were all standing in the front of the barn, you know, on top of their horses. And there's like seven or eight of them. And they're just like, wow, did she get loose from you? Well, no, not exactly. I kind of might have let her loose. (laughs) (laughs) And it was, I felt, I was mortified. I was literally like, that's it. Like I have, I have lost it. I have completely, I am just like the worst horse person there is. I don't, you know, I, I felt, I, I felt horrible. And I, you know, mm-hmm. I took her back to the barn and went back home. Of course I was again devastated. And I was thinking I made like a mistake that was, I, I don't know. I felt like it was really, this was it, you know, the horse would never trust me. I was a bad horse person. I let the horse go. And the next day I went to the barn and there was a different horse there. Mm -hmm. She was definitely more trusting. And at that point I realized that I'd actually done exactly what she wanted me to do in that situation. Because she had been freaked out. She was fearful. I was trying to hold her down. There's this white thing that's flapping around. She's afraid of it. And I just let her go. I let her leave. I mean... I was, I did exactly what she wanted, what she felt was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, I had, I felt like I had failed because I let a horse loose. I mean, you just don't let horses loose. That's, I was always told that since I was 10. And if somebody let a horse loose, that was literally like, oh, well, they're not very good with horses because they just can't even, you know, hold that horse. And there I had done that, and I felt like the biggest failure in the world. And actually, I wasn't. Actually, I'd done the smart thing. And after that, our relationship, again, wasn't the same. She was so much more trusting with me after that. It was amazing. Yeah. So it wasn't really a failure. But at the time, I thought it was. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that was, again, you know, it was very eye-opening for me because I was like, well, you know what? We have a lot of these unwritten rules. And... Maybe they're not all true. Maybe maybe none of them are true. I don't know. And so that was another road I went down. And, and you know, there's a lot of these unwritten rules, such as you've got to get on a horse after you fall off. You have to get on immediately or otherwise, you know, I don't know, the world's over. And, and that's, a, again, not a good piece of advice because, um, you know, you sometimes people can have all kinds of different reactions in those kinds of situations and you can you can be in a freeze reaction and you should definitely not get on a horse at that point even if you're not physically hurt but um but it did make me question a lot of things but um Mm -hmm. but that was my favorite quote unquote failure I guess it wasn't a failure 
in the eventually it wasn't a failure but at that moment I thought I had failed horribly I was like what did I go and do how in the world did I just like let this horse go Mm -hmm. but um it was a smart smart decision yeah when you were telling me that story it have you read waking the tiger by dr peter levine yes that is just the perfect example because like you get ptsd humans Mm -hmm. when you're in a scary Mm -hmm. situation and you lose your power to get out of that yes and that's what is traumatizing not Mm -hmm. being able to escape so when you were saying that i was like yes letting them go because the horse was then able Mm -hmm. and it was probably really healing for the horse to get the voice back and be able to complete yeah um yeah uh, complete like the the nervous system yes exactly and especially with this horse because she had actually been punished always to for being afraid Mm-hmm. So she had a lot of fear of her own fear, which um, basically manifested as first she would she would get fearful of something, and then she would completely freak out two seconds mm-hmm. later because she had been beaten up when she was afraid. So she would, and then she would just take off in a in a complete panic. So yeah. she had this on top of her own fear. She would be a fearful of the emotion because she would know what would happen after once I get afraid the next thing that happens is I'm going to have pain and so so when she would freak out she would really freak out and once I let her go I mean she literally trotted like I don't know just a few feet and then she stopped and was like wait what (laughs) like she wasn't she didn't I thought she would just run you know back to the barn like in a complete panic and and Mm -hmm. she actually didn't she just kind of went oh okay I'm okay now yeah you know (laughs) and he really you know that and that's um yeah that's that's really that's a good reference yeah um yeah I've definitely found I too over the past year or two I have just kind of allowed horses to do things that are like those Mm -hmm. rules that you don't let them do and just very like exploring it like let's see what happens and most Mm -hmm. of the time they're happier yeah (laughs) like it doesn't have these catastrophic um <laughs> consequences consequences it's just they they become happier because they can have a personality like i yeah. want my horses to have a personality i don't want a robot i would ride a bike if mm-hmm. that's what yeah. i wanted exactly and i feel like people forget that horses aren't just machines where you have a input and an output they're mm-hmm. complex just like people and they can have complex feelings and processing of things. Um, so yes, yeah, I love that. Definitely. I love that story. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Um, and then also, what are bad recommendations you hear in your profession? Oh my gosh. Well, the first of all is the one that I talked about, which is don't show the horse that you're afraid. Mm-hmm. Don't show them your fear. That's it's that is not yeah it it just doesn't it doesn't work um Mm -hmm. another one is you know you know about this letting horses loose you know there's moments when you should maybe hold on to your horse but there also are moments when you need to be smart about it and let the horse go don't don't get hurt because you you have been told not to let go you know there's a yeah i i think there's a lot of things that have um I don't know they just get passed on you mm-hmm. know it's kind of mouth to mouth like 
decades, centuries. I don't, I don't know even w where they have come from. Um, I think a lot of them are about controlling, I guess. And, and, and I understand, you know, people around horses are, you know, very safety oriented and, and many times people think that these rules or whatever um, you would call them are what keep us safe but sometimes they can really turn against us mm -hmm. you know and and I think there needs to be always you need to use you know your own common sense in different situations to realize like you know is this what I want to do in this this situation um, one of the ones that I was mentioning earlier is the fact of when you fall off a horse that there's this unwritten rule that you should always get back on right away if you can and mm -hmm. um that that can be a really dangerous dangerous rule and i think a lot of people don't necessarily realize that um we always think of you know our nervous system in a way like with horses you know that even horses that they always you know when they're afraid they run away they're flight animals but even horses can freeze when they're afraid so that they mm -hmm. don't they just completely shut down and don't move and, and and a lot of times people don't recognize that in horses as fear they're just like oh the horse is being stubborn or the horse is being you know is you know not doing what we're saying and it's being lazy or stupid or whatever mm -hmm. even though the horse can be like really fearful well us humans can have that same reaction where you know you get when you're really afraid sure you can have you know a flight or a fight reaction but you can also freeze or now they say also there's flop so you can mm -hmm. you can sort of shut down and not be able to function and you can shut down just partially, so it's it it's you you seem like you're okay, but you're not perhaps quite answering questions or you're kind of quiet. You know, you can get onto the horse, but you're not able to ride, and so your your movements are a little bit slower. It can be super dangerous to be on a horse when you're in that kind of state. You know, mm -hmm. you can easily fall fall again, and. Um, so that's one of the ones that I, I wish that people would take a little more time, trainers especially would take a little more time to see if the student's okay, you know, and not be too stuck on this agenda of we must get this rider back onto this horse like now. Yeah, you definitely. Know? Because yeah. Yeah, we would avoid a lot of accidents with that, I think, and, mm -hmm. and, um, and also a lot of trauma because it can be really quite traumatizing if you yeah. have just fallen off and sure maybe you didn't hurt yourself physically so bad but you're afraid you you got a you mm -hmm. got a fright you know and then you're you're being put back on the horse and you have to continue and you feel like you can't control your body and and um that can be super traumatizing yeah that makes sense yeah it just doesn't seem like very much good would come from putting a fearful rider on a fearful horse <laughs> no <laughs> like no 
call it's it a usually, day. Yeah, it's usually not a good combination <laughs> no. to start with, but, you know, especially yeah. after after somebody has fallen off. I mean, yeah, sometimes people are okay, and they're like, yeah, I can go ride, I'm fine, but it's mm-hmm. it's um, it's important to make sure that the person really is fine, you know? Definitely. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Well, thank you so much. This conversation has been um, just really interesting. Is there anything else you wanted to cover? I think we covered a lot of stuff. Yeah. Oh my goodness, we talked almost an hour and a half or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I. I guess that's that's it. I just hope that people who are listening to this are. Um, I think the one thing that. You know, oftentimes when we start talking about emotions, people get a little bit weary because it is, um, it's very personal. Every has, everybody has their own set of emotions. Everybody has their own history. Everybody has their own emotional history. And I think it can feel very difficult or mm-hmm. sc- even scary. It can feel kind of like, well, where do I start? You know, what do I do? Um, it's easier, you know, if you're thinking, oh, I'm starting to ride, I'm going to, you know, start to learn how to ride. You know, you're thinking, oh, well, there's the ABCs, you know, this is how you go about it. But when you start looking into something as vast and as complex as your own emotions and your emotional life with your horse, it can feel mm-hmm. like it's just like a, this huge mountain to climb. And, and, um, I just hope that everybody can, despite it being such a, you know, feeling like such a big thing, can still, um, you know, bravely power on because I feel like it's really, really worth it and it will change everything between Mm -hmm. you and your horse. So, um, you know, even though it maybe feels like you're walking into a black hole, I trust me there is light at the end of the tunnel somewhere and it's not a train coming at you (laughs) you know there's there's something to go towards but it may feel in the beginning like you're sort of just walking in the dark and just trying to feel yourself way around and being like wait where am I what is this but um but keep going it's just just keep going it it's worth it perfect beautiful where can people learn more about you Wow. In English, mm-hmm. um, I have a I have a website. It's um, withconnection.net. Mm-hmm. It's not super active at the moment. I have um, started the process of making my podcast into English, so that's going to hopefully happen by the end of this year. There will be some episodes out, and those will be on Spotify and iTunes and and um, all the major outlets and then Mm -hmm. with equitopia we are starting a new series it's going to be a year-long series for members which is um with two of my colleagues from finland um laura manila who i wrote the book with she's a somatic psychotherapist and then there's going to be anna kilpelainen who's a she's an animal or horse behaviorist and trainer and we're going to do a year-long series on emotions horses emotions and human emotions and um there will be every month there'll be a short lecture on a topic and it's going to kind of build on each one is going to be build on the one before 
So it's mm-hmm. going to be very super interesting, and I'm super excited about it because it's kind of a one of a kind first time. You know, we're doing something like this in a collaboration where where we're really, you know, doing human and horse emotions and mm-hmm. um, tying it all together. And and um, yeah, that's a great place to start. So if anybody feels like they want to go on a journey like this, um, they should definitely join that. It will be very interesting. And there's going to be, a, we're going to be giving tools and and doing exercises and everything so that mm-hmm. you can really start start looking at your own emotional life and also get some help with, with things that um, mm-hmm. are challenging you. So it should be great. Yeah, I look forward to watching that and being a part of it. Yes, me too. I'm super excited about it. <laughs>